socio-political issues, one man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome to your home for the politically homeless, the podcast for those of you who like your politics in colors other than red and blue. If you are brand spanking new here, welcome. And if you happen to like what you hear today, please share this with one friend you think might like it too. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you'll know it began with the goal of addressing dysfunctional government and political polarization. And the number one thing we can do to help address this issue is to implement reforms such as ranked choice voting. You also might know that I work with an organization called Rank the Vote, whose goal is to bring ranked choice voting to all 50 states. And you also might know I've never, ever done an episode about this organization. Ever. Now, that seemed to be a bit of an oversight, so I invited Nathan Lockwood, executive director of Rank the Vote, onto the show to discuss how he found his way to the electoral reform movement, what the org has been up to, and the growing momentum behind electoral reform on the whole. It was a delightful conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. I will be back at the end with my final thoughts. Did I ever tell you how I got hooked up with Rank the Vote and how I ended up getting involved? Hmm. I don't think so. No. Okay. So I'll give the long story. So I started the podcast in 2019 and this was after discovering that the root of the level of polarization in this country in part was due to our first past the post system of elections. Right. And I had discovered this entirely by myself for reasons where I, I won't get into depth. So I, as far right. as I knew, I was the only one. And so I spent a good, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight months just kind of walking around in the dark. And then I found Lee Drutman. And mm -hmm. then I found the folks at Better Ballot Georgia, and who's affiliated with, with Rank the Vote. And then I found Rank My Vote Florida, interviewed them. And then I finally kind of worked my way up the chain of command. And I found Adam, Adam Friedman, who at the time was executive director. And so I reached out to him about doing an episode and he had no interest. He had zero interest, but Adam being Adam, of course, it got me on a, uh, on a call. And then before I knew it, I was recruited and was you know, putting out content and recruiting people to put out content and such. So that's how, that's how I got involved. We never, ever ended up recording an episode. So this has like been three years coming, Nathan. Um, that, that, that you're wow. here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been funny that I've been doing all this work for the last couple of years for rank the vote, promoting it on the podcast and have just never reapproached anyone to talk about the org. So, so yeah, sorry. I never asked this about you too. This is something I'm really interested in. How did you discover rank choice voting? I try to collapse a lot into a short statement. So I was kind of politically involved back in college, mm -hmm. and I was interested in democracy issues. I actually took a course with the late Robert Dahl, who is one of the uh, 
premier democracy theoreticians in the U.S. That was really that was really great. Got me thinking about issues of democracy. So I had been thinking about it for a while. So I was involved in politics in college, graduated, was still involved in politics, met my wife, had kids, started working full-time in tech and doing family stuff for you know about two decades. Then they went to college, started looking to get back involved. I started reading different things. And one of the things I picked up was Professor Charlie Whelan's book, The Centrist Manifesto, which is probably right here on my bookshelf somewhere. And, you know, even though I wasn't a centrist, I liked the approach he was talking about in terms of the key to having a functional Congress is having Congress people who will work with each other on things and find ways to solve problems together and that sort of thing. And I think at the end of that book, there's a section on ranked choice voting. And I think that was the first time I'd ever heard of ranked choice voting. Okay. A little chapter at the end about things that can reforms that could benefit the system. And, and so that was interesting. I joined the centrist project, which he was the founder of, I think along with Nick Troiano. Oh yeah. And, And their goal was to elect a handful, like five. And I think Catherine's sort of, this is still a key part of, I think Catherine's strategy, elect like five or more moderate bridge building candidates to the Senate so that they would be a necessary ingredient whether for the, either the Democrats or the Republicans to form a majority to pass legislation. And you're talking about, just to clue listeners into, Nick Troiano is affiliated with Unite America. Catherine Gale is affiliated with everything more or less related to Final Five voting. But I know she's affiliated with Unite America and Institute for Political Innovation and, and a couple others as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... At the time, the Centrist Project, which rebranded around 2017, I think, and became United America, same organization, they were working to empower independent or moderate candidates to uh, run for office at different levels, and including Senate, and help them win. And uh, it became pretty clear pretty early on that these candidates were going to have a hard time winning because even when the voters liked them, they were afraid to vote for them because they were afraid they'd be wasting their vote and helping mm. elect the candidate they liked the least. A good example of that's Evan Falchuk in Massachusetts, who ran essentially as an independent. I think he was the head of a party called the United Independent Party, and yeah. he ran for governor. And he would meet people all the time who would say, you know, I really love your message and what you stand for, but, you know, I don't want to help elect the other side or whatnot. So with all that going on, I learned about ranked choice voting, and it was seeing, seeing things on social media, and getting emails about voter choice Massachusetts, that they were working to bring ranked choice voting to Massachusetts. I said, wow, that, that could really make a big difference. It just, it just seemed like opening up the political spectrum to have more uh, nuanced, textured discussions than a Democrat and a Republican, just making sure they disagreed about everything yeah. might be a good start. So. I got involved there. I went to a meeting at Holy Cross in Worcester with Ellen Perry, a professor there, who had hosted this meeting for, for Voter Choice Massachusetts. So Howie Fain ran the meeting, and he yeah. you know, told us about what VCMA was doing. And at the end of the meeting, he said, all right, would anyone like to volunteer to be the volunteer leader of the Central Massachusetts chapter? 
and it was dead silent for 90 seconds. Yeah. And finally I said, you know, both of my kids are in college now. Why not? I'll, I'll do it. So. And that's how you got in. And so this would have been what? 2018, 2019, something like that. April, 2017. April, yeah. 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like me. We're dumb enough to raise our hands. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, like <laughs> It's always been, always been my problem. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I remember finding RCV in actually looking for organizations that promoted proportional representation because that's what I was really hot on. And I was convinced that was the way to go. And then after talking with Adam and also looking at the landscape, I thought to myself, proportional representation might be, maybe it is the best thing out there. But from a feasibility perspective, there are so many barriers. And if even if you take even if you take away party opposition, even if the parties were all over it, there's still such a lift to make that work. From my perspective, looking at RCV, it was the most practical, feasible way to implement what I was looking to implement. Do a lot of people share that opinion, do you think? Or am I the the lone wolf in the group? No, I think you're right. I think a lot of folks with ranked choice voting probably most people entering the movement for ranked choice voting, many of them haven't heard of proportional representation yet, but many mm -hmm. learn about it through their involvement with ranked choice voting. Yep. I think, I think most of the national and most of the organizations around the country that are working on ranked choice voting, at least at the national level, I think there's been a growing consensus that's very similar to the one that you reached, that they would like to get to proportional representation. Many of them see ranked choice voting or final five is a key stepping stone to having that conversation. And yeah. actually over the last few years, I'd say, even if you go back three or four years ago, much less alignment around proportional representation as an end goal. Today, I would say there is a lot more alignment on that as an end goal. But even with that agreement as an end goal, I think most folks in the national nationally working on ranked choice voting do see it as an important achievable step forward basically here so exactly what you said and i might and i'm going to be betraying some of the true like pr diehards who listen to this podcast in saying this but i think ultimately what everybody wants is just the ability to vote for their first choice without repercussions and for there to be more than a binary choice on policy decisions and in my estimation, in a ranked choice voting environment, those minority parties or minority opinions out there have greater influence over the major parties. I think even in even in PR systems, you have two major parties, and then you have a you have a smaller fragmented smaller parties. But it, I think the same goal is achieved, which is a lot of these lesser known policy opinions do make it into the mainstream via their presence. And so I don't see a reason why that wouldn't happen in a ranked choice voting environment or a final five environment for that same reason. Yeah, I think there's a, I think that getting to final five or ranked choice voting from the current system is just that, that initial level of opening things up, allowing voters to express themselves, allowing there to be more candidate some parties and perspectives in the process is a huge step forward. I, I completely agree with that. So when somebody asks you to explain ranked choice voting, what's your, what's your elevator pitch? Well, I, I like to have 
uh, a little ranked choice ballot in my hand, but it's, it's, it's real simple. It's a simple upgrade to the way we vote. Right now, when you vote, you just pick a single candidate, no matter how many you're running. With ranked choice voting, you're allowed to rank the candidates in the order you like them. So your favorite's your first choice, the one, your next preference, your second choice, and so on. So the way we vote right now, where you can only pick one, one of the problems is that you might have a candidate that you really love, but they're kind of new. They maybe don't have the name recognition or the big funders backing them. And so you may be worried they don't have the support they need to win. And if you vote for your favorite, you'll be wasting your vote and mm-hmm. helping elect the candidate you like least. With ranked choice voting, that problem goes away. You rank your favorite is your first choice, and you can have a, a more front-runner or mainstream candidate that you're okay with as a second choice. So if your favorite doesn't have the support to win, your vote still counts, your voice is still heard for your second choice. But do you find, do people, when you tell them that, do people have additional questions on how it's tabulated, or are they just like, sounds great, and that's it, and they move on? You know, um, it's a mix. I'd say a lot of folks, depends on how busy they are, <laughs> to some yeah. extent, but a lot of folks are just really excited about that prospect. They've had that experience of, oh yeah, I really wanted to vote for that person. You mean I could vote for them without worrying about wasting my vote? And that's that's enough to get them right there. But yeah, sometimes people will ask about how it's tabulated. And, uh, and you know, it's pretty easy to get into that, too, because they, they want to kick the tires a little bit. And it sounds too good to be true for some people, you know? Like, Yeah, I think in the, in the electoral reform space, I think one of the issues where a lot of people get hung up is they get hung up on explaining the math without oh, yeah. realizing that, that a lot of people just don't care. Like, a lot of people are honestly fine with the simplest possible answer and can understand <laughs> the whole ranking of preferences. I oh. told you how I use this. I told you how I use this when we go out to eat, didn't I? Because, uh, I don't know. Tell me about that. So I have, so you know, and most of the people listening know, I have four kids, and trying to agree on a place to go out to eat is—it's like the Paris Peach Peace Treaty. It is, it is impossible. And what always happens is everybody has their own answer. Then somebody says something, and then somebody else decides. You know what? I definitely don't want that. So I'm going to be totally like anti you know, Shake Shack, for example. And then the one who's anti-Shake Shack wants Chipotle. And so the Shake Shack person goes total DEFCON 5 on Chipotle. And then before you know it, you have this whole war. And so now I don't ask them, where do you want to go to eat? I go, what are the top three places you want to go to eat? And Mm. I just, and I write down all the names and invariably there's one that receives the true majority of choices. And then, so they, so we go to there. And then if there's a dissenter, they just have to suck it, but at least we have the majority buy-in. So I can tell you from personal experience, it works quite well. One of the things I also wanted to make sure we did in this conversation is I wanted to give people an understanding as to how rank the vote functions and, and what the org does, because I've talked a lot about it, but never actually explained it. So what's rank the vote strategy in bringing rank choice voting nationwide? So... There's a lot of great groups working on ranked choice voting. We share the vision of using ranked choice voting for all our elections. And ranked the vote strategy is we help train, equip, empower regular folks at the grassroots level to grow support for ranked choice voting and wherever they live in their, and form statewide organizations that can build a strong demand for ranked choice voting in a state, get people real excited about it. Mm-hmm. And we do that 
to allow us to win ranked choice voting in places where currently you need to enact ranked choice voting either through ballot measure, if you have that at your disposal, if it's legal in your state, or you have to enact it by legislatively, by convincing or pressuring or whatnot your legislature that it's a good thing for them to pass it. So in a lot of places, you just can't, you're not going to get anywhere with either of those strategies until you have more people in the state who, who want it, want it badly and know why they want it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, then you can build political power to achieve one of those other goals. So we started in Massachusetts. We basically created the largest statewide movement for ranked choice voting. The founders of Rank the Vote, people like Adam Friedman, Greg Dennis, Jim Henderson, Liz Popolo, just a handful of them decided they wanted to, after they saw Maine win ranked choice voting, they said, wow, if Maine can do it, we could do this in Massachusetts. So they, they held a meeting to bring people together with a goal of saying, let's build an organization that's going to grow support in Massachusetts. And they did. They brought me on board like in April, like we said, and over three years, they went from those four or five people to yeah. 7,000 volunteers. And from a list of they had of about 200 friends and people that they'd been talking to for a decade, they went from those 200 to 50,000 supporters in three years. So we basically just take that, the playbook that describes what we learned and what we did in Massachusetts together to share that with folks in other states so they can do it there as well. Yeah, and when, when I started... Rank the vote was really just getting going in a handful of states. What's how many states are, is Rank the Vote operating in now, and how far have these movements come along since? Well, Rank the Vote has helped launch grassroots organizations in 21 states. We work with about 28 or 29 states. We've helped about seven or eight of them hire at least one full time staff to support their volunteer operations. And that's, mm-hmm. that's made it easier for the volunteers to be more effective, not burn out, and focus on the most important things that they can yeah. do to help grow with the movement. And there are different schools of thought as far as enacting reform. And one school of thought is really pro-grassroots. You get enough of a critical mass of voters together, and those in power will see it and enact change. There's another group of people that say that you really have to start with the grass tops. You really have to start by working with those in power first and then build the grassroots support once you've gotten their buy-in. What's been your take or what's been your perception? One thing I'd say is either way you're organizing, whether you're organizing Mm -hmm. grassroots or you're organizing grass tops or you're organizing both. And I would, because of the seriousness of the problems that America faces in terms of polarization, in terms of government not able to either do or facilitate the doing of things that are just critical for most Americans, you know, whether it's climate or health or the deficit and whatnot, mm-hmm. whatever your favorite issue is, the economy, whatever it is, the, the seriousness posed by all this stuff basically my perspective is whatever you can do to win ranked choice voting, because it went and put in place, it's particularly like the federal level, it's mm-hmm. the remedy will be pretty swift in terms of making a rapid difference in terms of how politics and government function. So, so yeah, I think, I think both approaches are valid. I, don't, I think there are places where the grassroots approach 
will face certain challenges. And there are other places where the grass tops approach will face certain challenges. So what I'm really excited about is that we have groups that specialize in both, applying both techniques, and in many cases, applying both together, which is can be really powerful, where you've got folks working at a grass tops level with major political funders and with public officials in the state legislature. And then at the yeah. same time, you got a grassroots group that's doing really good work, bringing the general population around with them. And so uh, those, those efforts can reinforce each other. And one of the things we learned in Massachusetts was that regular people are capable of doing a lot in terms of volunteering for, for well, a range of issues, but including ranked choice voting. And one of the things that a lot of people who are traditional political operatives often are, are worried about is that these grassroots movements are going to be too undisciplined and they're going to muck up the works of whatever their strategy, their inside strategy is by yeah. irresponsible messaging they are going to offend the people they're trying to persuade or whatnot. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that does happen a lot. What it was impressed me is that in Massachusetts, we had a good leadership that gave very clear direction and disseminated it very well amongst our thousands of volunteers about best practices for messaging so that you're not making enemies out of potential allies and this sort of thing. And it was remarkable to me the amount of discipline that thousands of volunteers could have with just a little bit of direction, treating them like adults, explaining to them, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. I, I, if you don't mind, I want to talk a little bit about Massachusetts because obviously that was one that just lost by a hair. Yeah. Um, what do you think happened there? There was a range of things. I think a few things we could talk about was it was a ballot question that was born of a major grassroots campaign that built a lot of grassroots capacity, including a large speakers bureau that could work with other volunteers to conduct engaging RCV educational events, like rank your favorite beer, rank your favorite ice cream, yep. could give good educational presentations on ranked choice voting. A lot of the grassroots model was built around in-person organizing. And when the ballot measure, you know, was the heat of the campaign came up, that was right during the pandemic. So that that part of the playbook was hindered in its full effectiveness, basically. The other factors were, I mean, the campaign of educating Massachusetts voters, the places that we had good organizing strength, so around Boston, around Amherst, and far western Massachusetts, around Pittsfield, they tended to vote for it. Mm -hmm. In fact, pretty strongly. There were like 80 cities and towns that voted for ranked choice voting by a majority, including a lot of the major cities in Massachusetts. But the places we didn't reach, you know, with our pre-campaign educational stuff, a lot of voters just still didn't know what ranked choice voting was. And what a lot of campaign managers who have run ranked choice voting campaigns will tell you in Nevada, in Alaska, and in Massachusetts is it's hard to communicate ranked choice voting in a 15-second TV ad. You know, it's hard to mm. have that be the only source of educating folks. I mean, there, there, there's certainly other things we could look at. It certainly didn't help that Charlie Baker came out against it, which is kind yeah. of unfortunate and ironic because had he, as you've written, had, if we had had <laughs> ranked choice voting, he could have run for governor again, either as an independent or as a Republican in a final five type situation, and he'd probably still be governor. Yes, but he got thrown out by his own party. 
One criticism I have heard of ranked choice voting that I that actually kind of struck me, and and to, to qualify what I'm saying, number of criticisms of ranked choice voting I've heard out there, it's too complex. Yeah. On one side, there are the math wonks who really get into the tabulation of it, and that's fine. But the one that I the one that I heard that really struck with me is that it didn't do enough to address partisan primaries. And to add some color there, you know, one of the big problems with party primaries, of course, you get the most partisan voters. Very often, these are the people who reward more polarizing candidates. And so if you have a system that's funneling candidates via a closed primary into a ranked choice voting environment, it still doesn't necessarily do the job. What would be your response to that? Yeah. So so, for, so we're comparing like ranked choice voting versus like ranked choice voting combined with open primaries. Is that correct? Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so first of all, let me just say that rank the vote, our philosophy as far as what type of ranked choice voting do we support? We support mm-hmm. whatever is most winnable where you're trying to win it because both these mm-hmm. two systems are so much better than what we use now. And there will be cases where you'll have an easier time winning one or the other, depending on the landscape of where you're trying mm-hmm. to, to win it. They're very similar in, in, in many ways in that they both give more choice to general election voters, right? So you're not locked into whatever a fraction of the party base coughed up in your direction is your only yeah. choice because you're not going to vote for the other side kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they're not exactly this, the same, right? There's, yeah. There are some differences with the open primary format versus the partisan primary format. And I would just say this, as far as the criticism that it doesn't do enough. So first of all, what does just ranked choice voting do in partisan primaries? At the congressional level, I don't have the exact number. I think it could be over 50% of people elected to Congress win their first primary without majority support. Some, a significant number with as little as 35% or less of support. Yeah. Ranked choice voting fixes that. I don't think that's insignificant. And neither do people like Virginia Republicans <laughs> who are looking at a field of eight choices for yep. the statewide candidates a couple of years ago, a field that included Glenn Youngkin, who's now the governor. It also included mm-hmm. Amanda Chase, who self-described as Trump in heels. And uh, they went to ranked choice voting because they wanted to ensure that going into the general election, they had a candidate that was simpatico with the largest portion of their base and could unite the party. Yeah. And uh, it it seems to have worked well. They seem to have felt so. And that's why they started using it for their congressional primaries and have continued to do so for many of their congressional primaries in Virginia for the Republicans. But as far as the general election goes, I think the thing that's attractive about the top four final five is is you're not dependent on strong independents or third parties emerging because you can still get more choice if the voters promote more candidates from the major parties. Mm-hmm. But that said, you know, we talked about just a moment ago, if we had instant runoff voting, even without open primaries, totally different ballgame for Charlie Baker. He could run as an independent. Yeah. The other thing, I think, with ranked choice that our experience at the federal level is limited to a few years in Maine and one cycle in Alaska. But in Alaska, folks know what happened. A moderate candidate upset a very polarizing candidate in terms of Mary Peltola. Yeah. And that was in an open seat. 
And then uh, Lisa Murkowski defended her seat as an incumbent being a moderate Republican in a way that with our current primary system, people wouldn't have felt was possible. Mm -hmm. So that was clearly visible and powerful. That said, in Alaska back in 2018, a couple things happened. There was a win by Jared Golden, the Democrat. People were this is Maine you're talking about, this right? This is in Maine, their second district, yeah. So he yeah. he upset an incumbent Republican, Bruce Pollockin. Yeah. And, you know, the big deal was made there because it, it went to RCV counting, and Golden, who was behind by a point in the first round of counting, demonstrated he was the candidate with majority support or the most support when the ranked choice tabulation was done. But another big deal there was, I think, just the dynamics of it, which is that not only was an incumbent defeated, but they were defeated by a Democrat who was running way to the center. So you, there's these sort of invisible effects beyond who wins that people mm -hmm. in Final Five talk about as well. But I, I think it would be a mistake to understate the impact that ranked choice voting can have by itself. I think yeah. Final Five has great, great benefits and will do great things for U.S. politics. But I wouldn't downplay the benefit of winning just instant runoff. And the last example I use there is imagine if you were, you are the forward party right now and you're trying to break into politics and you've got a bunch of mainstream support, including Christy Whitmer, the former governor of New Jersey, served yeah. in the Bush administration. Yep. These are not like fringe characters. These are mainstream accomplished politicians joining this party. What is the biggest barrier to them getting elected or competing effectively, I guess would be a better way to put it. They have to really pick what races they run in to not be spoilers. And if we go to rank choice, it opens right up. So I just, I, I find it hard to believe it wouldn't make a big difference to just yeah. have instant runoff voting. Yeah. And I think one of the things you have to be mindful of whenever you're looking to implement a reform is the fact that there are people who are in office or people that are in power that don't want to lose it. So if they feel like something's going to threaten that, you know, good luck. They're going to oppose it. And there's a couple of things you said there that I just, I want to comment on. The first, of course, is Charlie Baker, Massachusetts Republican governor, the most popular governor in the United States coming out against it. And to your point, then getting effectively ousted by his own party in the primary this year. And of course, now there's a Democrat in the state house. And then of course, the election with Jared Golden, th that was another instance where the GOP on the whole has been pretty cool to the concept for the most part. But the one thing I do see is you cited again, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, the Virginia Republicans running their election by using RCV. You have a couple of Republicans who are actually able to defend their seat from primary challengers as a result of either open primaries or in the case of Alaska, final four RCV. So my feeling is we're in a situation now where there is definitely a bit of fracturing in the GOP between the, let's call it like Trump wing and the establishment wing. And in, in my estimation, RCV is the best way to resolve that issue. It's the best way to, to have everybody be able to compete without having to silence one group or without having to nominate an unelectable candidate. I think you're right. It is a great way to uh, to start to resolve that. And I mean, it highlights like, you know, we have these big tent parties right now within which there can be big differences of opinion. 
sometimes really big. Yeah. And I think you may be starting to see some of that within the Republican Party. But not only are they big tents, but the way our current voting system works for voters, it's like big tents where they've like padlocked the exit shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I agree with you, Dan. I think having it gives choice to voters and it gives choice to candidates and political actors to be able to offer what they have to offer in a way where they're not constrained by people that they used to agree more with. Yeah. I've got, I've got one last question for you. You've been doing this a while. What do you see as the state of the movement today compared to when you started? What kind of momentum has built up? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's incredible. It, it is, it's great. I mean, of course, when you, you come to appreciate a reform like this, you want it as fast as possible. But realistically, the movement's come so far. I mean, I think when I started... There was like maybe 12 cities using ranked choice voting in the U.S. There's more resources available than ever. They're allocated, I think, in very rationally in, in many ways, where groups are specializing in different things and doing their specialties well, while cooperating with the other groups that address different parts of moving towards the solution. Like yeah. there, There's groups now that specialize in voter and candidate and election administrator education. That's a group like Democracy Rising or one like RCV Resource Center really focuses on um, providing deep assistance to election administrators and best practices for them to adopt as they're transitioning to ranked choice voting. So we've got a lot more wins to make happen, but the, the resources are great. The wins are accelerating and there's some potentially really big things on the horizon, including states like Minnesota, which appear to be on the verge of passing ranked choice voting legislatively, which would be a huge milestone and game changer. Mm. It's conceivable. It's conceivable to think right now of Minnesota, Oregon, maybe a couple other states, that it wouldn't be a shocker for them to pass ranked choice voting legislatively in the next few years. Over in Connecticut, Governor Lamont, who won his election, was campaigning, not just supporting ranked choice voting, but with a promise to introduce legislation and in his term and start moving that forward. The Republican lost Bob Stefanowski. He also endorsed ranked choice voting. So it's things are changing pretty rapidly, and that's very encouraging. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please consider leaving it a review. You can also sign up for a newsletter with a summary of this episode and other issues of the day by clicking the link in the show notes or going to ydhty.com slash news. I have also included a link to Rank the Votes website where you can check out chapters in your area and volunteer to help. Now, there's really only one takeaway from this conversation. And that is how normal people stepping up is often what it takes to make real change. You know, Nathan's journey started as a volunteer coordinator. Mine started when I was looking at covering ranked choice voting for this podcast. And what both of us did and what a lot of people I know have done is we decided to put our talents and energy behind something that we found meaningful. Now, my hope is that for you, listening to this podcast is more than just a passive act and that you've found ways to get involved in the causes you care about. If not, there are plenty of orgs that need your help, so consider this your call to action. As always, 
music courtesy of Quellertack. YDHTY's director of continuous improvement is the admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in loving memory of the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Oh, bye-bye.